Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly roundup for the week ending 2nd of September 2022. Well, Thursday is our usual posting day on the Green Edge, but since this Thursday was the 1st of September, we also posted our monthly reports roundup. And Michael, there's been a lot for you to look at in August. It most certainly has. And I'll just pick out two. I know we've picked out other ones previously. One is the uh, new framework for the local skills improvement plans. I think that's a really important document because it's an opportunity for local areas to look at the supply and demand for skills and obviously green skills. And if you take the recent trailblazers, there was an excellent example of that from Sussex where you saw the local authority working with the LEP and the Chamber of Commerce really coming together in a very coherent, very easy to read document and very practical driving action. The other one I'll pick out is a consultation document from Bayes um, in relation to the energy intensive users in this country, which is a big range of businesses, over 5,000 businesses employing over a quarter of a million people that use lots of energy. It's a highlighting the issue around green energy levies, but it just highlights the need for that sector to really grasp which it is, the whole net zero agenda, and the need to attract in new talent to actually be incredibly innovative around some key areas. To understand a little more about those key areas, we talked recently to Ayan Hevker. Ayan is director of the Energy Intensive Users Group, which represents the interests of industrial consumers in steel, chemicals, paper, mineral products, glass, ceramics and industrial gases. And this is what Ayan told us about those key areas and the skills needed. Within the skill set, you go into uh, low carbon technologies like CCRS, hydrogen, the skills there. The focus is still focused on uh, the business model itself and the mm. capital cost, because how can you economically deploy these technologies and less so on the skills or the wider supply chain. On the other hand, you have energy management system that requires some kind of engineering skills as well. To an extent, um, because energy costs are so high, that the energy industries have a management systems in place, um, whether that complies then with um, the ISO standards, slightly different question again, but they will, will have something in and then often the challenge is then to, to analyze that, analyze the feedback and act on that. There's a third one that I always find into is, is material efficiency. So it's basically the embodied carbon in a ton of material and how can you can reduce that. So if you analyze it from, from low carbon technology to energy management to material efficiency, it all has a lot of different thinking and different skill sets. Whether the education and training system basically is delivering that, I'm not quite so sure. Uh, certain universities, they, they are doing quite some work on all of this, but whether then it uh, spills over to actually business practices, uh, that will be a bit of a challenge, I think. Ian joined the IEUG in March this year, and before that he was a civil servant at Bayes for 15 years, working on energy and climate change and focusing on the energy-intensive industries. He told us a little about what Bayes was doing in the skills arena while he was working there. I think the key practical thing was getting training standards in place uh, for certain sectors. And we helped uh, the Confederation paper industry with getting that approved. Plus, um, but that's a bit more longer term as well. Um, and of course, whether it's taken forward by colleagues now in, uh, in the department, is trying to establish uh, certain postgraduate degrees on particular engineering skills. Unfortunately, over time, 
those kind of specific master degrees or postmaster degrees have, have become more generic and less specialist. So it means that energy standard industries, when they do want to have that specialist training, they send uh, the employees abroad to the headquarters where they still have those training facilities. Another report we highlight in this month's report roundup is a briefing note from the Institute for Fiscal Studies about the effects of long COVID on the labour market. The IFS research found that as many as 110,000 people are missing from work every day as a result of long COVID. And this is on top of the general reduction in the labour market as a result of the pandemic and other factors. Tony Wilson, director of the Institute for Employment Studies, talked about this in a conversation we had with him earlier in the year. Unemployment is now very, very low. It's close to it's close to where it was before the crisis, which was the lowest it had been since the early 70s. And we've got record levels of vacancies. So actually, the crisis we've got now is <laughs> fundamentally is there's not enough workers rather than there's not enough jobs. Um, and of course, you know, often those workers are in the wrong places or they may not have quite the right skills for the job. So there's a kind of labour shortages and skill shortages problem. And when you've got those problems, then you kind of got two challenges. One is to increase participation in the labour market, get more people into the labour market. And so, yeah, we're, we think there's about a million people missing. So there's a million people fewer in the labour market than there would have been on pre-crisis trends um, as a result of COVID, as a result of you know, the pandemic and everything that's happened since then. And that missing million, just over half of that missing million are people that people aged over 50, actually. It's, it's older people predominantly who've withdrawn from the labour market. So these are people that you're saying have taken early retirement, for example? Or they're, well, so there's flows in and flows out. So labour market is mm. all about flows. So so I think we, we sort of, all of us will naturally think, well, this is people who've left the labour market, but it could also be people not joining the labour market. Yeah. So it could be people not returning to work. It could be, um, it could be parents not going back to work after their kids got older. It could be... Um, uh, you know, it could be um, people who, um, who 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 are changing jobs or retiring, but in the past might have moved into another job, like might have become self-employed, for example. Self-employment's down quite a lot, but now are choosing to retire probably on a lower income than they would have done. So there's, a, there's different, there's flows in and flows out. But but I think a large part of it is, as you say, is people who, in effect, have just, you know, they've lost their jobs and they've withdrawn from the labour market. And we haven't been in contact with many of them for far too long. And so now it's quite hard to get back in if they've not worked for, for over a year, for example. Our regular Green Edge post this week is called The Green Future is Small and Medium. And in it, we look at the role of small and medium enterprises in the Green Revolution. And Michael, one of the key points in our post is that while government green initiatives always seem to focus on big business, SMEs have a key role to play. Well, you just look at the numbers of people they employ. If you just take all small and medium-sized business, they employ over 16 million people. And if you just take those employing less than 49, they employ nearly 13 million people. Now, it's a large, skilled group of people who disperse throughout the whole of the economy and the whole of the UK. But also, when you start looking at where those businesses are, it's something like 16% are in construction and 15% are in professional, scientific and technical services. So if you take those two groups together, two groups of skills which are fundamental to retrofitting and actually applying green technologies to allow us to adapt 
to the changing circumstances and to hit net zero. So the small and medium size really need to be tracked and looked at in terms of their health. And if you look at some of the indices that have been generated, there's the one produced by Lloyds Bank. There's one, the jobs barometer by uh, PwC. They tend to underplay the small firms component in terms of their skills categories. And I think the whole Green Jobs Delivery Group needs to have a very active theme of its work around the health of small and medium-sized businesses. And a reminder that you can see this week's post, as well as Michael's reports roundup for August, on the GreenEdge website at greenedge.substack.com. So what's coming up this month, Michael? I think one thing I'd like to pick out is a task force being set up in the City of London called the Skills for Sustainable Skyline. It's a group that's looking at the adaptation of buildings across the city uh, to meet net zero requirements, and in particular, looking at the skills component and the workforce required to deliver net zero across the city. Now, this is a group chaired by Chris Hayward, one of the councillors, and is in effect serviced by Chris Oldham and his team at the City of London. Now, we'll be talking to Chris Hayward in the, for a future podcast and post, and we're tracking their work because I think the material they'll be generating on skills will be very important to every UK city. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.